Welcome to the Lake Mac Way, where we spend some time with our people who make Lake Macquarie a great place to live and work. Now, my guest today on the Lake Mac Way is Morvan Cameron, the CEO of Lake Macquarie Council, the voice you hear introducing this podcast. Welcome to the Lake Mac Way. Thanks, Craig. It's a pleasure to be here. You're a little bit nervous about this, aren't you? Like all the others that you've railroaded my way. I am, yeah, I'm, uh, I'm very nervous. I'm uh, happy to talk about uh, technical things in local government anytime. A bit more nervous talking about me. That's okay, I'll give it a go. But that is the philosophy behind the Lake Macway, isn't it? Is to get behind the story, get behind the, the person who does the job. Yeah, look, absolutely. The whole, the whole philosophy was this idea that people enjoy their work more and bring and do better quality work if they can bring them whole, their whole selves to work. And we can only do that if we actually know one another beyond the transactional conversations that work requires you to have. So the whole philosophy of the Lake Magway is, is getting to know one another better, absolutely. Is it working? Is it creating conversations in the workplace where... Some people say, well, yeah, I heard your interview on the, on the pod, listened to the podcast, and I never knew that about you. Yes, absolutely. I'm, I'm sure it is. I've had only anecdotal conversations, but I've had people say, I listened to this part of so-and-so's late Mac way, and it made me think, yeah, I should confront that problem, or I should tackle this, or I should think a little bit more about what's important to me. Um, I mean, personally, I've got to know six people in the organisation better than I knew them, and but yes, I, I believe it absolutely is uh, is making a difference to the way we just see one another. Have some of the stories that uh, some of the employees that we've spoken to on the Lake Mac Way, have some of their stories surprised you? Yeah, I think every one of them has surprised me. I, I knew five of the six people who, who you've interviewed or who aren't interviewed. And, um, but every one of them, there were parts of those stories that I didn't know um, before they before they spoke to you, so every one of those stories that there's a there's a wow moment where you think, wow, what a what an impressive person, what an impressive story, what a, an important takeaway to um, to sort of reflect on when you listen to the stories. Every one of them. So you're now the CEO of a very large organisation here in Newcastle Lake Macquarie. Did you ever? have a dream of doing a job like this? Is this where you saw your career path going? Uh, no, no, not at all. I uh, never really have never really had a, a career path. I've never been somebody to, you know, give myself five-year targets or say that in five years' time I want to be anywhere, anywhere with the exception of wanting to come and live in Australia. It's really been a, about what I enjoy and what I love and what I'm passionate about. And the understanding with local government was that I fell in love with local government as an industry. And the more senior you become in local government, in my opinion, the more you get to enjoy a broader range of things and feel proud, and get involved with more people and help more people. And really it grew from a passion for the industry and wanting to be more and more involved, um, and I guess more and more influential in the industry um, than ever a kind of, you know, by the time I'm X years old, I want to be Y. I've never planned my career that way. Do you think that you can have more influence on more lives, as as you've just said, at local government level than you could if you were a federal politician or if you were a state politician? Yes, absolutely. Um, without without a shadow of a doubt, um, whether you're working in the administration as I do or whether you're a politician, you can have 
um, dramatically more um, both positive or negative impact by the decisions you make on the on the community around about you M- most definitely yeah you mentioned leaving Scotland so we can tell and I have Scottish heritage so I recognize the accent straight away so you were born in Scotland which part of Scotland I was born in a town called Hamilton, actually, mm-hmm. just outside Glasgow. Yeah, we, we lived there for the first 10 years of my life and then moved to another town, maybe, maybe 10, 15 kilometres away. Lived there until I was 17 and went to university and then went to university in Nottingham. Mm-hmm. And sort of bounced back and forward between Scotland, England and Australia for the next 13, 13 15 years. I emigrated when I was 32. So for someone who's never, who had never been to that town... Hamilton, where you grew up. Tell me what it was like in two paragraphs. Cold. <laughs> very local, very, I mean, I guess the way to answer that is why did I aspire to leave? Without being negative, perhaps a, a, a very lack of world-wide vision. You know, most people moved either to the next suburb or to the next, sometimes the next street to their family, raised their families very close to the, you know, their parents and their grandparents. So it was a very, um, I guess, close-knit, tight community. But we came from the Highlands, and so we never fitted in. We didn't have grandparents. We didn't fit in. My father travelled with work, so we always had a much bigger world vision of the world um, than most of the people that I grew up the majority of the people that I grew up with. So small town? We're, we're talking 5,000, 10,000 population? No, both both Hamilton and East Kilbride, which are the two towns, are, are pretty big towns, but certainly had a, a very west of Scotland insular feel to them. At what age were you when you decided you wanted to leave Scotland? Oh, when I decided I wanted to live in Australia, I was about 14. And a funny Lake Macquarie story, I, uh, I was a trampolinist and we had the Australian team come to compete against Scotland. And I, we billeted people in those days when you travelled around the world with international sport. And we had uh, four uh, Australian trampolinists and administrators, sports administrators come and stay with us. And they told stories of having a trampoline in their back garden and, you know, the life that they led. And... Um, I was 14 in Scotland. Life wasn't that sunny for me as a as an adolescent, and it just sounded fabulous. And from that day, I decided that I was going to come and live in Australia. So without trampolining, you might still be in Scotland, possibly. Oh, possibly. I, I um, I'd like to think I would have broken out anyway. But absolutely, that that gave me a pretty laser focus to what mm. one particular part of my life that I, I was adamant I didn't want to live in Scotland. Were your teen years tough? Would you look back and say, yeah, I didn't have a great experience as a teenager? Yeah, definitely. I, I have to say, I think I made them tough. Like, I, I, I can't, you know, there's no, there, there's no story that I can tell other than just as a teenager and going through adolescence and all the where do I fit in the world and, you know, which way's up was incredibly difficult. We I sort of ran with a crowd. I guess nowadays you'd call it a gang. We did the wrong thing a lot. Drank alcohol before we were legally allowed, very, very much before we were legally allowed. Yeah, it it was tough because I just knew I didn't fit in there, didn't feel like I fitted in there, knew I didn't want to be there. But of course at that age you have no idea why you have those feelings. So the the gang, if you like, and the rebellious behaviour was a sense of this is the only way at that age that I can fit in. 
Well, that, that's a really interesting question. Actually, you know, I think it was more that I had become friends with this group of people and I didn't actually, I knew I didn't, certainly by the time I was about 15, I knew I didn't want to be friends with them. I didn't like what they were doing, what I was doing with them, but I didn't have the courage to speak up and say, I don't want to do this. This is, you know, this is not for me. So I think it was more about, and maybe the, the drive to come to Australia was about the safe way to leave that, that behaviour and that group, friends, that group of friends behind without, without having to make the difficult choice of saying it out loud, I guess. You've made up your mind. You've met the, the trampolining lot and you've, they've painted a picture, the Australian trampolining team painted a picture that said, you know, we, we live in a pretty good place. So you decide you want to go, but you don't leave Scotland until you're in your 30s, mm -hmm. is that right? So, so what did you do between 15 and 30? So I went to university just after my 18th birthday and I went to university in Nottingham, studied sports science. My mum, to her absolute credit, could also see that I was running with uh, not the best bunch of people. As an adult, I look back and I think, gee, their lives weren't good. It's, that's not fair to say they weren't a good bunch of people. But she sat me down with a map and said, if you go 200 miles or more from home, we'll support you, we'll pay your rent. You'll have to earn your own beer money, but we'll pay your rent. Um, but if you go to university within this 200-mile circle, you're on your own. And then she found all the universities outside the 200-mile circle that, that had sports science or sports courses and said you should look at these, which was a, you know, an absolutely brilliant move on her part. She, uh, one term at college, I sort of left friends with this group. There was 10 of us. I left in one term at college. I came back at Christmas time and I saw them once and thought, wow, what was that? I never looked back. So your mum was a bit of a visionary there in, in the respect that she's thinking, well, if Morven stays within that 200-mile radius from here, then she's actually not going to be completely independent and she may not change that environment that she's living in, whereas if you go outside that zone, you actually make the change. Is, am I right there? Yes, absolutely. I mean, my mum's not that well, so I'm not actually able to ask her that. But yes, I absolutely believe that that's, um, you know, and as a mum myself now, I, I can now understand how courageous a decision that was for her to push me to do that. Yeah, mm. absolutely. My guest today on the Lake Macway is the CEO of Lake Macquarie Council, Morven Cameron, who is here reluctantly, I might <laughs> add, but she's going very well, very well indeed so far. So you get to Australia and you're 30, 32. So what do you do when you get here? Well, we actually came, I came with my, uh, then my partner, now my husband, and um, because in the interim period I, I had met him in Scotland and I thought I wanted to go into ac academia and be, you know, work in a university and go into the sort of academic world because I'd been lecturing in Scotland. Looking back now, that was definitely not for me. But I got a job, I got my first job after, other than coaching sport around the place just to make some money, I got my first job at Karingai Council as a sport and recreation planner mm -hmm. and actually said to one of my really good friends, Look, it's easier to find a job from being in a job. I'm not ready to work in a local council. I had the same perception of local council as so many other people do. This will do until I can find a real job. When I got the CEO's job, that same friend phoned me and said, well, when are you going to get that real job? So worked for Karingai and I think probably about eight months in, suddenly realised that actually 
loved local government, loved what it was all about, loved the impact you could actually see and touch and feel that you can have in a community and went home one night after turning on brand new floodlights on four different sports fields in, in the Karinga area and said, well, I think I really love this. And he said, yeah, I could have told you that a while ago. I was waiting for you to work it out. <laughs> and then went out on and, you know, just found out as much as I could about the industry, studied another local government leadership certificate, but just, you know, just sort of buckled in and said something, I'm going to be in local government. I, I love it. So it was a, a light bulb moment for you. Yeah, absolutely. And and sort of from, from one side to the other, I really thought this will do until I can get, you know, till I can get a real job to actually know I, I absolutely love, it so aligns with my values and what matters to me and what energises me that I suddenly had to admit to myself I was having a great time. All right, so you're at Karingai mm-hmm. Council. Was it at that stage that you felt that I can make a bigger difference if I channel that passion into a higher role and, and look at a, an upper management position? No, I, I, I don't ever remember actually sort of thinking that as such, perhaps until I went from manager to director here at Lake Macquarie and realising that, you know, you you sort of the bigger the portfolio, the less you can be involved, but actually you can still have a great deal of, of influence, I guess, over over what's happening and more importantly about how it's how it's happening, how things are being done. So it probably wasn't until quite a long time after I, I was here at Lake Macquarie that that idea of the broader the portfolio, the more people whose lives you actually touch, the bigger the portfolio, the bigger the role that you have. Before you get to Lake Macquarie, you, you're at Karingai. How long were you there? number one question, and the other question is, what role did you come to here in Lake Macquarie? Sure, so I was at Karingai for just under five years, about two months short of five years. I started as a sport and rec planner and I I ended up as the manager of park sport and recreation there. Much smaller scale, much more concentrated facilities and things like that in, in Sydney, obviously. And I came here to be the manager of community planning. Was this completely different? to Karingai or uh, councils, councils? Oh, no, it was very different, uh, very, very different. I mean, a very different council. Uh, I came here to a very stable council, a very respectful council, uh, you know, councillors who are very positive. And, and here at, at Lake Macquarie, and, and we still to this day, I mean, we, we sort of work with the councillors and we deliver for our community with them collectively. Are you ambitious? No, <laughs> it's just a funny thing to say, I guess, sitting here. But no, I, I'm not driven by a by an external uh, ambition. I'm I'm very driven by the the sort of sense of self worth that I get from. I talk about it often, you know, that driving home on a Friday night and just you run through the process of what you've gone through in the week before, and you you know there there will be ten touch points a week where you think. Because I made that decision that something's better, something's better in one person's life or something's better in a community's life. Or And sometimes you go home and think, geez, have I made the right decision? Because if I haven't, that will have a negative impact on, you know, potentially 210,000 people and 1,300 employees. So I'm very driven by the, the sense of contribution that I get paid for, right? I mean, you, you know, other people volunteer and, and we get to actually touch and feel the impact of our decisions daily. Is being the CEO a stressful job? 
<laughs> sometimes. <laughs> uh, sometimes. Oh, you should probably ask the people that work round about me and have to put up with me. Ask Alina how hard it is to manage my calendar. Yes, uh, sometimes, but but the rewards and the sense of achievement slash contribution that comes with it are far, far outweigh the stress. And then the people you surround yourself with and the work you put into building relationships diminishes that stress. And what I mean by that is I have, you know, I work really hard at keeping strong positive but you know honest relationships with the counsellors and therefore I know that if something's bothering them they'll phone me and we can talk about it which diminishes a lot of that I mean stress is generally fear of the unknown so if you've got counsellors who've made a commitment to you that there's you've got a sort of no surprise they'll tell you if something's bothering them you can diminish that fear of the unknown. How do you cope with adversity? Do you have a an an underlying a philosophy about or a toolkit if you like to where you go what does Morven do when Morven is stressed or faced with a huge challenge yeah oh look a whole range of things it probably depends what it is I'm a great believer in the cathartic um for me um you know having a, a good old bubble and a cry is very cathartic and can actually physically help me um, we used to laugh, but, uh, you know, Thursday night, Call the Windwife used to be on. And on a Thursday night, the house would be empty and Paul would be out, the kids would be in bed, and I'd watch Call the Midwife and just have a really good bubble. Because there's not an episode that doesn't make you bubble. And then that would give me the energy for Friday, Saturday, to get through Friday, Saturday, Sunday and enjoy my weekend. So there's a physical release. I can listen to sad music on the way down the road in the car and, you know, almost force myself to, to cry physically if that's necessary. Well, that's a bit, yeah, that's a bit of information. <laughs> but it does help. Oh, Crying is hugely underrated <laughs> as as a as a way to relax, revive. Yeah, you can actually. I mean, for me, I can feel the physiological change that happens. Um, I need time to myself. I'm definitely a, a real introvert. So if if all else fails, I need to kind of lock the door and spend time. Not physically lock the door, but spend time alone, walking or uh, cleaning or tidying or reading, anything that's just time to myself. I don't get a lot, but I, I get enough. And then, you know, if things are really bad, going for a walk, going for a run, spending time with Paul, talking it out with Paul's my husband, talking it out with Paul very much is very much part of it. If it's something that it's somebody that I'm worried about what somebody's thinking or doing or I'm a confront them, I'm a, you know, very politely say, I can sense that something's not right or you're not feeling good about X, Y or Z, can we talk about it? I'm sure that comes from that, those teenage years of angst where I wasn't confident enough to speak up and say, I don't like what's happening here. And I just sort of got wrapped up in that washing machine of adolescence and, and didn't have the... I didn't have the courage or the strength to, to break it at that age, but I think now I'm a bit of a step in and mm -hmm. say, what's going on here? Mm. Always nicely and gently, but I'd rather have it out and be discussing something than I won't let myself ruminate for too long before I, before I kind of tackle the challenge. <laughs> so your antenna is pretty much up and it's uh, acutely tuned in. Because of your experiences as a teenager, you know the signs. You can maybe pick someone who's struggling maybe more than someone else. I would like to think so. I think I'm a, 
I think I can generally read a room very well. The more I know somebody, the sooner I can pick it. But yeah, I, I, um, I would like to say that I'm, I'm somebody who can say, you know, that you didn't seem as comfortable today when we chatted or something's wrong or what's happened. You know, I, I noticed when you reply, even in a text, I've had an occasion where somebody texted me and I thought, hmm, that's not the way they would normally respond. And I'd just pick up the phone and say, it's everything okay, you know, that, that's, that's unusual, that's an unusual way for you to, to um, reply to me. And of course they say, oh my God, how did you pick that up from my text? Actually, I'm, you know, feeling a bit flat or feeling a bit flat about this or I'm angry about that. So yes, I, I would like to think that's something that I, I'm good at, but I also work at, you know. Mm. Um, yeah, it's a skill that I, I'd like to think that I, I, I try and use as much as I can. Do you think that makes you a good manager of people? And would you even go further than that and say it's absolutely critical for good managers to have that ability? Yeah, from from where I sit and, and uh, my philosophy on sort of being a leader or or being a manager is that you actually have to care. If you have a leadership, if you have a leadership role, part of that leadership role is to care about the welfare and the well-being of the people who are in your charge. And that doesn't mean be nice all the time. There are times when caring is can have to be it needs to be tough love. Mm. And those are the hard times. Being being nice to care for people is is easier than not. But yeah, I think if you actually don't fundamentally have a a desire to make sure that the whole person we're back where we started, aren't we? But that the whole person is well, then in 2022 leadership is about caring for the whole the whole mm. person absolutely if someone said to you describe a bad manager to me or describe someone who lacks leadership skills what would you say oh try not see bad in, in too many people i think i think task task only focused you know um, we have to get x done by five o'clock Friday and disregarding that people have other lives, other priorities, other issues uh, would be one, would be the biggest one. You know, the other thing that I just reel away from in local government is the top-down approach. The, you know, the CEO or the GM is the smartest person in the room and when they say it's blue, it's got to be blue and nobody will speak up. So, you know, a bad manager, a bad leader is somebody who doesn't create an environment where challenge and debate and discussion lead to better decisions. It's really got to be, and both those two things are linked. If you care about people, you'll create an environment where they feel comfortable to speak up. But, but really, leadership nowadays is, is, about, is about getting the absolute best out of your people by, by growing them and supporting them, not by squashing them into a box and only letting them do one task at a time. Mm. That was management in the Industrial Revolution days when we made widgets in a factory. Mm. That's not what we do nowadays. To, nowadays is complex problem solving, day in, day out, and that takes leadership, not, not management. I don't quite know how to phrase this question, but I think it's an important one in the current environment, and you are a leader and a, and a manager in 2022. Do you feel as though those skills that you've just talked about as not good leadership or not good management philosophies are overlooked when people are promoted into management roles. In other words, the, it, it's not investigated mm -hmm. enough 
if you like, as to whether I've actually got the right person here. They t appear to tick all the boxes in terms of competence, but when they get to that level where they're actually responsible for people, they're not competent. Does that make sense? Yes, yes, it does. And the answer to your question is it very much depends on the organisation and the leader. And it is one of the things that absolutely has to come from, I hate top down, everything top down I, I rail against. But, you know, it really comes from setting that, that tone right at the top of the organisation. So you know, in Lake Macquarie, we, for years now, but when I got here, we started to change the way that we interviewed people from being just technical, you know, can they do X, Y and Z, to, well, you know, you might have, you might have three highly competent technical people, but which one's going to be the best fit for the organisation at a, at a cultural level? And then which one's also going to be the best fit for the team? In fact, you would do that the other way around. Which one's the be going to be the best fit for the team? And which, one, which person culturally fits or doesn't fit with the philosophy of the organisation? And of course, for the last five years, the philosophy of the organisation is about frontline decision making and actually managers and leaders supporting their people to make more decisions. And by association, we need to make less decisions. And for most leaders who've grown up in the year, era that, that I have, that's quite a difficult paradigm shift. You grow up thinking you'll make bigger and more decisions, you know, the more senior you become. And we are, we are really, in this organisation, trying to I think we're pushing the boundaries and really trying to flip that on its head and that can be difficult for us there are times when we pull that decision back and then go hang on a minute you know we have to we have to let go but we invest a lot of time in in recruiting and making sure that the person is a cultural fit for this organization first and you can teach skills but it's much harder to teach especially in leaders to teach that philosophy of uh, supporting your people leadership rather than being the smartest, you know, being the being the gatekeeper of information. Any regrets? <laughs> lots and lots and lots. But I, uh, you know, talking about talking about my younger years, I I don't regret anything for very long. I tend to learn, learn, process, and move on. And a goal from here in the role do you set goals for yourself do you have visions or is it a very much day-to-day -day thing with you how do you operate I do set sort of specific goals for myself but much more so than setting goals for myself I think about I think about my, my role in three circles there's the the city of Lake Macquarie which is the first and foremost that's what we're all here for is to serve and service the city of Lake Macquarie and then I think about the council and my role with the elected body because how council behave and how they make their decisions and that if they make they make their decisions well affects our city and how the city progresses and grows and evolves. And then I think about the organisation which is here to support both the city and the council. So my, my goals and visions are around the city of Lake Macquarie. I mean, the city of Lake Macquarie has just so much potential. It's a it's a phenomenal place that's, I, I mean, I say it over and over again, you know, it's 90 minutes from the north of Sydney, from Hornsby to here. And yet it's almost as if a lot of the world hasn't discovered Lake Macquarie. There's a lot of Lake Macquarie, I think, who are happy that we haven't, the rest of the world hasn't discovered it. So that's always a balance. But, you know, we have so much potential in this city to have more jobs, more economy, you know, without diminishing the quality of life that this city offers. I do worry about the city's economy with mining and manufacturing and those changes, and that's been a big driver both for 
our external city work, but also the organisation's work. Um, and then the other big goal is around the organisation. I have a really philosophical belief that local government can and should be at the front and foremost of government leading, leading the way. And in our city, Lake Macquarie City Council had to be able to, has to be able to move as fast and be nimble and as flexible as we possibly can in order to support our community as the industries in our city change. Because if we can't move quickly, there's no way we'll support our city's economy as it has to change. I often say that we've done our job really well if nobody notices. You know, the, the, the structure of the city changes, the economy of the city changes, the number of people living here changes, and actually nobody, nobody notices. Everybody says it's a beautiful place to live, it's a beautiful place to visit, we love living here, and we can see statistically all these changes, but nobody's, nobody's noticed. If we get it wrong and the economy, you know, mining and manufacturing leave and there's nothing there to replace them, and the city goes into a sort of economic dip, then people notice. So I'm always actually striving to be invisibly the most successful local government that exists in Australia, but, but invisibly. <laughs> it's been great to talk to you today. We've actually been having a chat here for probably longer than you oh. think. But uh, Morvan Cameron, thank you for joining me today on The Lake Mac Way. Thanks, Craig. It's uh, been a pleasure. The Lake Mac Way is produced by Lake Macquarie City Council.